0: Spring has arrived and with it come the blooming flowers. Now the sight of daffodils bursting with yellow colour is just delightful. And I'm looking at the first of the tulips poking their heads out of the earth right now. And when I see this flurry of colour, I just find it brings me so much joy. Welcome to the Neighbourhood Podcast.
1: We are your hosts, Jack and Jolene. And today we are talking all about the Irish cut flower industry and the floral revolution with our guest... Anna Hogan from Seekings Flower Farm in Ballymacoda, East Cork. Anna tells us what it's like to work a small farm set over 1.5 acres with three pony tunnels. Now, this is how she manages her growing crop base for the year and will even grow specific flowers on request for weddings.
0: And we also speak to her about the Irish Flower Farmers, who are a supportive network of independent and sustainable flower growers throughout the country. And we learn that the Irish flower farming industry is expanding in various ways, which includes advancements in education, public awareness, social farming, pollination, and of course, environmental sustainability. And we speak about the economics of the Irish flower industry, like the value of this to Ireland, and how much flowers are imported, and how much is locally grown.
1: And besides all of this, flowers are of course much more than just that. They have a unique ability to express emotions that words can convey. They're terribly romantic and endless creative possibilities with their diverse colours, shapes, textures and fragrances that stimulate all of our senses. Now, flowers are not just beautiful, but they also have healing properties and play an essential role in maintaining a healthy ecosystem and biodiversity. They attract butterflies, provide food for bees, absorb carbon dioxide from the air. Flowers are just great in so many different ways. So to start us off, we asked Anna to tell us what her favourite flower was.
2: Jesus, my favourite flower. I, I, I grew up, my mother was a super gardener and we had 52 rose trees in our front garden. So I grew up with absolutely no appreciation at all for roses. They were just the thing that punctured your football. Or <laughs> Remember the space, <laughs> space hoppers that you, we used to have? Yeah, I had no appreciation. You'd be given bunches of roses going to school and, you know, everywhere you went, they were wrapped up in tin foil to take with you because they're prolific flowers. And then only when she was gone and I started growing roses myself and I realised, God, you know, these are incredible. These are fantastic. You know, they're scented and they're beautiful and they come in every shape and form and colour. And, you know, they, they if you get repeat flowers, they flower again and they're just... You know, they're big
0: showy flowers. Now, during the growing season at Seeking's Flower Farm, you will find row upon row of beautiful Irish cut flowers, all cultivated from bulbs or seeds. And Anna's nature-inspired bouquets are full of romance, colour and fragrance. Now, it's not just flowers you're going to find in her bunch because she often complements this with aromatic herbs such as lemon verbena, fennel, dill and mint, all of which further enhance their beautiful scent. And she told us about her farm, which is set over one and a half acres with three polytunnels. Right. There's only me doing it. So, you know, I have to be realistic of
2: what I can do and um, I grow sustainably. So I don't spray um, or use anything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's seasonal flowers. So you start the season probably in spring with your bulbs, you know, your spring bulbs. Um, And then it rolls on into uh, the summer. You'll have annuals and you'll have things like, you know, dahlias and roses and all of those things. And then right up to the end, season ends and um, the cut flower season ends. For me, usually the October bank holiday weekend, that's usually kind of the point where you think that's the end of what's flowering.
1: As we mentioned in the intro, Anna is also part of the Flower Farmers of Ireland, who are a nationwide network of Irish sustainable flower growers. It's all part of the floral revolution, a powerful movement, mainly driven by female flower farmers connected with nature, much like the farm to fork movement. And in many ways, it is redefining the global cut flower industry by producing much loved, locally grown, seasonal scented blooms and fresh cut foliage for people who love their flowers to look and smell as if they were picked from the garden this morning. So what is the flower industry like? What is the value of the flower industry to Ireland? How much is imported and how much is locally grown? So what is it that sets the Irish flower industry apart?
0: We learned that the Irish flower farming is a growing sector in more than the obvious sense in terms of education, public awareness, social farming, pollination, and green matters. We also got a few tips for hobby gardeners like ourselves in starting to grow our own little slices of garden heaven. But first, Anna, tell us what is the significance of flowers? Why do we feel so connected to them?
2: And I think my understanding is that the relationships between mankind and flowers are going back thousands of years, Mm. and that a lot of the science since then has sort of backed up what was, I suppose, an intuitive thing um, that flowers related to us on many levels now I mean obviously the big things about pollination and food sources and all Mm -hmm. of those things um are a part of it but it's much more primal than that Mm -hmm. and there was a belief that before we could produce art um and understood about things like self-actualization and whatever that it was a sort of a nature's form of art I Mm -hmm. and by that I suppose you know we would have all heard of things like Maswell's Triangle of Human Needs, you know, that kind of whole sociology where you have to meet your base needs and then you can go through, you know, once you're fed and you've got shelter, you move up the line, eventually up to things like creative things and self-actualization and music and art and whatever. So growing flowers are believed to have been the equivalent of that for a primitive man. So it was yeah. it was art and something kind of speaking to their higher Levels, you know, and that would give your, you joy, make you feel good while you were touching the dinosaurs. So um, <laughs> I think another aspect of it is that it, they reflect our transient nature so that they were used a lot in in um, life festivals, celebrating life and death because they're a shorter version of our own life cycle. You know, they they they're come to see or they, they the seed is dropped, you know, it, it grows in a very quick way and then it dies and that's again a representation of the life of man so there is that sort of correlation as well but then of course there's all the other reasons um pollination is a huge factor now um we understand it more now it has become a, a massive world kind of emergency i suppose you would say um we when we started um, I suppose the process of industrialization and towns and developments or whatever we um, destroy the habitats for a lot of pollinating creatures and that has continued and we didn't really understand uh, what we were about but now we do because again the science has caught up with it and um, it has become an international um, emergency and I mean that is a huge flowers have a huge role to play in that so I suppose you know we always think of them, or people often think of them as something as an aside to the food issues and all of that, you know, and that mm-hmm. they're not as important. No, I mean, there are flowers that produce, um, that are a food source for, for many cultures and um, they're a medicinal source. There's a lot of medicines and um, even the drugs that we take nowadays come from flowers. I mean, the most common one most people would know would be the digitalis from the foxglove, which mm-hmm. is a heart treatment drug. So there's all of that. But, um, okay, I didn't know that actually. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be oh, nibbling on one. They're highly toxic, but, um, yeah, they are. And they I would, that. yeah, they are part, they're, they really are dangerous. toxic. Dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous to, to eat. But they, um, yeah, they do, they do provide, um, um, medicinal, um, drug called digitalis, which is for heart disease. So, So, yeah, I suppose there are some of the reasons why we should kind of take flowers quite seriously and celebrate flowers. I mean, they're kind of hotwired into our thinking in many ways. And um, then I suppose when you look to Irish flowers, um, why should we be talking about Irish flowers? We should be talking about Irish flowers in a way because they follow the same pathway as the food. You know, we talk about seasonality and carbon footprint and all of those things and you know, supporting local growers. You know, those issues are all the same. The flower issue, um, I suppose, has never been taken terribly seriously by many people because, you know, they're just flowers and, you know, they're not as important as potatoes and all of these things. I had a discussion with some friend of mine who works in the School of Bees at one stage. I was looking for a postgraduate student who might be interested, you know, a botany student who would be looking for a subject matter for a doctorate. And, um, I love this now because it I think it really makes people think about flowers in the context of everything else, so I said, "You know, do you think there's anybody?" And you, "Oh no, no, flowers, no, nobody'd be interested, you know, they're all doing real important things about potatoes or you know it's just really you know, yeah, food, food So, so, so. Food. and she was talking about things like the you know the national herd and the dairy industry and all the big kind of agricultural stuff in Ireland, which were always kind of you know get the headlines. And I said, yeah, I get you totally, you know, flowers are kind of things for women, really. And, you know, men who are in trouble usually and and all of that. And then I said, you know, think of, you know, any outlet, be it your petrol station, your mace, your spar, your little, your Aldi, your Tesco's and whatever. They do have a fridge with dairy in it, less dairy now than there used to be, because there's a lot of competing products, but they're plant based. So they will have a fridge and they'll have another fridge with some beef and other things in it. They will also, each one of them, every single one of them, will have a stand or a section devoted to flowers. Absolutely. They all have them. Mm. And that's how serious the industry is. That's how big Mm. the industry is. Unfortunately for us, most of those, you know, mace and spars and petrol stations, they're imported flowers. They're not Irish flowers. Could be Irish flowers. Not for all of the year at the moment. Um, and not for all of the time, but there could be a proportion of Irish flowers represented there and giving people that choice. So that is, I think, you know, an important message to think about that, that they're not just something that's out there on the fringe. And mm. and I think then when you look at the international market and the figures for flowers are staggering, which I'm not going to go into all kind of statistics and fairly boring. But the the um, the value of the cut flower industry every year is staggering. Value of the Irish cut flower industry is somewhere between ninety one and ninety seven million. Um, yeah, big amount of money. Oh, uh, very very little of that is represented by Irish flowers. I know certainly that um, it's none of this is represented by members of our association which would be the kind of we call ourselves you know the artisan flower the people who are growing in small holdings and that there would be some for be figure in there for the big commercial growers who are producing you know um daffodils and just uh, say uh, daffodils, various things that are more for export but certainly no one has ever come to any of us and asked us for statistics so we're not in there yeah so yeah, so that is that is a big market and it's a growing market. And what's interesting about the, is, is if you break that market down into the sort of dynamics of it, 47% of it now is about flowers that are sold for the whole. So people are going out there. It's not about birthdays or Christmases or Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day Mother's Day. It's about people just buying flowers for their world. And that kind of comes back again to this self-actualization. They're beautiful, hmm. so people want them. And they want to buy it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're not necessarily fulfilling any other role. You know, it's not because I have to buy a present or I'm visiting somebody in a hospital or any of these kind of things. They're buying them because they're beautiful and they want to have them for themselves. And I suppose that's where we've come to as well. In a society, because we're that little bit more evolved and we we have more money and we have more choices. Mm -hmm. So
0: we should be looking at that, but then... Irish flowers. That's the thing. I know. That, right. it, seems, it seems to me that Irish flowers are the obvious alternative to, to imported flowers for so many reasons. I mean, like you're cutting down on those those miles, there's less carbon footprint from that. I guess you're going to have less waste. There's like a million reasons you should support There there,
2: there Yeah. There certainly are a million reasons why you should buy them, but I'm a great believer of, uh, in sort of not doing the hair short argument. It's like food, you know, and saying to somebody, You should eat more fiber. You, you try and make the fiber attractive. So they want to eat more fiber. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the thing about the Irish flowers, it's not why we should buy them. Um, it's why we would want to buy them. And the reason we want to buy them is that they are intrinsically more beautiful. And the reason they are intrinsically more beautiful is that the qualities that make a flower last longer for the purposes of transportation and storing and all of those things, um, Are are the sorry the qualities that make a flower beautiful um, are the very first qualities that are bred out of them, so that they store well and they transport well. And one of the first things, would is scent. So highly scented flowers, which are the things that you want, um,
1: they degrade faster. Is
2: taken out of them because um, they don't store well. So if you want to have a beautifully scented flower in your home, um, and people do because our sense of smell is our most developed of our senses so it's it, you know it evokes memory and uh, so many things which people will constantly tell you when you know they smell your flowers and they say oh you know it reminds me of my grandmother's garden or it reminds me of my mother's kitchen or you know it reminds me of something growing up or whatever that is one of the most um beautiful offerings with Irish flowers yes. in the sense of smell and then just the look because and the variety yeah they're 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 um they're bred as nature I suppose intended. They're not uniformed. Uh, you know they're not all the same length, all the same size. They don't look the same. quirky, and that's the personality of them I suppose. And of course the other the other aspect of it too is that um they you you can have varieties here. You can you can buy Irish flowers in varieties that that can't be imported. Because their shelf life isn't long enough, are they too delicate to transport? Mm. So you have varieties of flowers that are grown here that you won't find in a floral wholesaler
0: mm. or, or you know, Or in a, in a supermarket unless it's stocking Irish flowers. Yeah. Mm. that makes perfect sense. And tell us what what is the flower industry like in Ireland? Is there many growers like yourselves? So over sixty of us, which would be small artisan
2: growers, and mm-hmm. um, and we would be that's the members in our association. And um, we would be. I mean, we're not growing to organic standards because everybody grows differently, but we are all sustainable and even when people come into the association, um, it's always about, you know, that kind of group dynamic. If you come in and you have been growing conventionally, you know, and spraying and all of that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. it's not that there's any kind of hard and fast rule that you're told to stop doing that, but um, you pick up on the group dynamic and the discussions and the talk, right. and you eventually see the benefits of doing it the other way.
1: This and- is exactly the same with neighbour food. It, we, we can't have hard and fast rules because it's evolving all the time and people bring in different approaches. And many are beyond the approach of organic or many are, are, are beyond chemical free where they're actually Jolene and I were chatting to a Korean farmer who's fermenting different things from a woodland nearby which he adds into his soil he is technically adding something another farmer would say add nothing you can't add anything it's about yeah. extracting yeah. and, and ma- helping your soil bring its best out loads of different approaches that conflict not one wrong not one right
2: huge yeah huge amount and and I suppose that is the thing that you know is the importance of a community of growers is that you you pull that information and you share it and you know you're standing on, on the shoulders of giants because it saves you that time, those very precious seasons where you don't have to make the mistakes because people are doing things and, you know, they're sharing it. And I did it this way and this really worked and don't do it that way. And then, you you you, you know, you jump those steps ahead and it is that progress, which is incredible because I know that in particularly the younger growers are super, the stuff they're doing is just, you know, they're trailblazers and I look at that, you know, and I've learned so much from them. You know, they really are. Um, they're they are amazing. But yeah. Um, so, I mean, you don't have to make a case for Irish flowers because they make the case for themselves. There's a great legal expression, the thing speaks for itself. They speak for themselves. You just look at them. You don't have to convince anybody. I suppose that our difficulty sometimes is getting that message out there. And the educational part of it and the awareness mm-hmm. part of it. Um, which we're working very hard at. We have our Flower Week every July, Irish Flower Week where we do mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. Um, promoting Irish flowers, you know, showcasing them and, you know, the whole education thing around it and giving people the choice. Um, they're not available all year round, unfortunately. Like the food, you know, you're not going to get Irish tomatoes in December. They're seasonal, but all the more precious for that, I think.
1: Yes, and you can still decorate your home with Irish grown things in winter, you know.
2: Totally, yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's about adapting to that and it's about trying to save beautiful ferns and eucalyptus and other types of bits and pieces are gorgeous in times when there isn't flowers, you know.
2: Well, it's interesting you say that, Jack, because I'm finding when when i do a weddings and you know uh, my initial sort of thinking on the weddings was you know i'd be doing weddings between this month and that month because that's going to be the flower season so if yeah. people come to me um and they want a wedding outside of that i i'll have nothing to offer them because i don't import flowers but i'm finding increasingly now a lot of this is dictated by fashion and that's fine too but um i did a, a wed- wedding this year on christmas week i did a wedding not last year, the year before uh, Christmas week, um, brides came to me. They said, look, you know, we know what you're about. We're not interested in the big flower thing. Um, we want to stay local and Irish. Very important to us. And I sort of said, look, this is what I can offer you. Mm-hmm. What I can do for you. I did grow some um, winter flowering narcissi, you know, paper mm-hmm. whites mm-hmm. for one bride. But um, it was mostly foliage, berries, um, Uh, interesting architectural and textured things and all of that. And it was a beautiful wedding. The people who come to me for weddings uh, know what I'm about. So they come specifically for that. They want individual Irish flowers. They want um, they want the experience of seeing their flowers growing. It's kind of a hard thing to explain, but if you think of it on the day somebody gets married, you know, there's so much going on. It's a real kind of you know a day where you're you know the input overload of all the experiences you're trying to remember. But what I kind of like to offer them is that lead up to it, and that even they come down here before the wedding, and we go and look at the flowers growing. And to me, that's their memory of the flowers, you know, because you know in the course of the day, i I'd be delusional. If I thought that it's all about the flowers. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not at all about the flowers. You know, they're just one very, very small part. And, you know, it's lovely. Like me. You get fabulous messages back and people love them. But I mean, you, you do have to see them in context. Yeah. You know, they're only one part. But that experience coming up to it is very important for me. When we make that kind of bond, we have the discussions and we share images and ideas and, you know, we talk about all of that. But then when they come down, and they can see them growing yeah. and that's it and when you bring somebody into an area in a tunnel you say i grew these flowers for you for your wedding these are your mm. that's so upsetting like isn't it yeah. you know and i want them to remember that rather than the day yeah. you know than the flowers on the day, because there's more important things than that so um yeah i mean that's what i can
0: offer them I think- Can you tell us a little bit about, um, I suppose, the green matters that co- that come with um, Irish farming? And in particular, I'm kind of thinking about um, the bees and the okay. interesting that that pollination can give to your garden, I suppose, in yeah. one sense, the garden, but also in the wider sense of the whole country and maybe the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. You're part of that, aren't you? Okay. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, so the pollination, and again, as I said, you know, this was... This is an issue that is really sort of, you know, become, um, on global scale, you know, quite a serious thing, um, and I suppose you go back. We always think of pollination. We think in terms of the honeybee and the bees and all of that kind of thing. And I mean, obviously, they're not the only pollination things. I don't know if you're following, um, um. David Attenborough's Green Planet, but he talks, I mean, there's bats that pollinate, there's moths that pollinate, some plants are pollinated at night time, there's a whole other thing there, but he talks about biodiversity, and if you break the chains of biodiversity, now he was, he was talking in terms of the, um, the um, tropical forests, but, you know, so you, forests, and if they make a path through them, certain animals can't get across this, roadway or whatever it is. So you're breaking the chains of biodiversity. And so if you eliminate the habitat of one animal, then you'll see crops and flowers and various other things will disappear as well. And that's what biodiversity changes, chains are about. So we've had that here in Ireland. Um, And thankfully, we have now the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan, which is a, a national plan to sort of again, highlight, raise awareness about all of these things. It's great because it involves schools and children. And it's an issue really that anybody can take on board. You know, you don't have to be a farmer. You don't have a big tract of land. You can do it anywhere on a balcony in a small city garden. There's a whole range of initiatives that you can become involved in um, just to be part of the bigger picture and um, the The plan is, I think, 2015 it started and it's running to 25, and I think there'll be some sort of handover to a, um, a new system after that. But there has been tremendous response, and I think particularly the children and the school really important. It's really important for them to become aware of these issues and in sort of internalize that process when they're looking at land and garden and growing. It's like the vegetables, teaching our kids to grow their own food. This is part of it. You know, this is very much part of it. Um, we pay a big part in it because we're providing habitats and we're rebuilding these biodiversity chains by growing flowers. And again, that is the importance of flowers that, you know, may be missed in the general agricultural um, picture because these monoculture um farms where you know you grew a crop or you did this or you did that and you didn't do anything else you specialized in it was very much encouraged for years because people didn't understand the consequences of doing that and Mm. that you know it is you know even if you are a conventional farmer and you're growing crops you're doing those things that if you grow additional you know you're familiar with things like companion planting and growing other things next to things and you know in any garden, if you're a vegetable grower, if you grow some um, flowers, it will bring in the pollinators. Um, You've probably heard of the Three Sisters. This is sort of a real vegetable story. The Native Americans, when they grew vegetables, um, they grew these plants called the Three Sisters. So you had the corn, which grew up right? and then you had the bean, which grew around the corn. So the bean was supported by the corn. It also then... Sort of enhance the corn from a structural point of view to support the corn and the wind. Also, the uh, on the ground the squash or you know pumpkins or whatever grew. So then they spread out on the ground, so they were weed suppressant, and the um, bean provided nitrogen into the soil to feed the rest of them. But what has left? What's been left out in that story? There was a fourth sister who, which was the mountain mint, and that was the pollinator. So that brought the insects in, and that's part of a story okay. which explains the nature of how things work together.
1: That's amazing! Is, I haven't heard yeah, about
2: that before.
0: But, yeah, what, which is really which I is sure that's, work, a, that's a nice one, not it?
2: Yeah, it's it's
1: so really visual beautiful. too. Like I'm picturing, um can I say like an orgy? <laughs> <laughs> Everything <laughs> just blended up together.
0: What <laughs> well, a lad thing to say in this conversation! <laughs> oh yeah!
1: All right, looks <laughs> nice. the only guy the only guy here. I just like to say the, the last thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, yeah. stories
2: of children to understand, you see, how, how things work together. And that's very
0: important, you mm. know? So no. What, what do you see would make up a pollinator friendly garden um, in your mind? <laughs> yeah, well, you know,
2: it, depending. I mean, if, if you're just talking about flowers, there's a lot of flowers that are good pollinators, but the ones that work really well are the, the, you know, if you want to sort you can ha- go and seek out a list of flowers, but the sort of rule of thumb is if you look at flowers that are open in their shape so that the bees can get into them. So say when you talk about, about bulbs and things like that think of tulips, tulips aren't a great pollinator flower because they're long and they're close, the stamens, the pollen and everything is far down into the plant. So oh, okay. yeah, so, so if you think of other things, say borage, you know, edible flower, ticks all the boxes yeah. bit of a tug in the garden all right but you know pretty as well so the borage flower a little blue flower and it's flat mm-hmm. so the bee can get in there easily yeah mm-hmm. so yeah. when you're you, crap, there's a lot of flowers uh, that are uh, are good pollinators but that is if if you're not sure look at the shape of the flower and that will tell you mm-hmm. if it's very complex yeah. and it's closed up and these kind of things it may be scented it may be all of those things but it's difficult for the insects to get into. So yeah. look at the ones that the insects um, can get into easily. And and that's usually called pollinator.
0: Yeah. Okay. Or, so I was looking actually at that uh, document just before we went on and to have the chat. And they gave some nice tips for every month of the year. So the advice for March actually is um, to avoid cut, cutting your lawn because there's loads of dandelions. And they're flowering at this time year right. And are also really superfoods for the pollinators.
2: The dandelions are oh, wonderful, yeah. And another thing in the winter time, um, we we had a great um, is is ivy, ordinary mm-hmm. wild ivy, and we had a great um tendency to tidy up our gardens years ago, and people were tearing ivy off the walls and off the oh, you know the ivy. I love it as well, but in the winter, it's a huge source of food for the bees because if you know, right in the middle of the winter, in December now and that, you'll see it's full with. Flowers, yeah, uh, and often people don't look at the flowers on ivy, but there's and actually there's a scent from them as well. So you'd have lots of flowers on it, and then it'll turn into berries. So it's a a fabulous source of food Mm -hmm. for um for the bees. Could you?
0: Could you um? Give, give a bit of advice, maybe, to a home gardener who enjoys um, some flowers. What should uh, what should I grow um, at home to produce a nice garden and um, that I can pick some nice flowers from? Okay, so it's not... a slightly question there. Yeah, well, no, it's not. It's not. I mean, I think the most important thing with starting
2: with anything, vegetables, flowers, cooking the same, is to um, find something that you can do easily that will give you a sense of achievement. And that you feel it's a success. Uh, it's like people who knit, you know, when people, when kids are learning to knit. When I was a child, they always said start with a scarf, which was the worst project to start anyone knitting with. This goes on forever. You know, you're knitting forever. And you never get to the end of it. So you give somebody a piece of information, a, a an independent block of information that they can work on. So you find seeds that are going to germinate easily. Yeah. So I think great ones if you want to talk, talk about the pollination and you want to talk about edible stuff and whatever would be something like colunchula seeds. So that's what yeah. they call marigold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are foolproof to grow. Sunflowers, fantastic to grow. If you want to do a growing project with children or in a community garden or something like that, these are all ones where you get huge pollinate, or huge germination success. They're big seeds, they're easy to handle and they, they will
1: germinate. And they fly up
2: they fly up and then what you have? I mean, if you want to talk about a biodiverse garden, you'll have sunflowers that will look incredible. I mean, they're just, they're like alchemy or magic or something. I don't know. I don't think you'll ever get over them. They're just pure but, joy to see. It. They are just, and then you'll have the flowers to look at and then you'll have the seeds. And if you leave them out for the winter, the birds will, you know, feed off them right through the winter. So you're providing a source of food um, and this is then, as I said, how you rebuild these biodiversity chain chains. You start putting food back into the garden. H-
1: have you ever seen the, the yes. hung- Hungarian sunflower?
2: A Hungarian sunflower? I don't think so. No, they're beautiful.
1: It's worth a Google. I did say beautiful. beautiful. They're the Frankenstein of flower that I've ever seen. So the... Cute. The seed kind of uh, base, the central part, the black part, is uh, probably about three feet wide. So we're talking like the shoulder, right shoulder width kind of. And then the yellow leaves are about an extra foot out. It's about five feet wide, the the flower head. Terrifying. And a good Mm -hmm. three meters high there. Yeah, worth a look. Have a Google.
2: I, I certainly will. I'd be looking. For, this is what happens now. So I'd be looking for seeds. Looking for because, the seed. Yeah, I I'm down every rabbit hole
0: that no. <laughs> comes to flowers. Absolutely. Mm. Um, you're clearly quite quite a creative person. Anyway, as we can see from your house and the beautiful flowers and everything you've got in the back or in there, when it comes to that creativity, um, how how did how did that come about for you? Like, what is it that kind of started you on that journey, and what is it that makes you here, um, keep doing it. Um, so before I grew flowers and grew, well, I mean,
2: I always grew flowers, but before I did it, you know, did it as a business. Um, I, I worked in law. I was a solicitor. Um, yeah, but, um, my actual real training is I trained as a designer and that's my real passion. Well, law was to pay the bills. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I trained um, in design and um, I studied art history as well in UCC. So mm-hmm. law was here in the centre, which was the thing that made the money and paid the bills. Mm-hmm. But really, the other things, the design was really what fed the brain, I suppose you might say. Yeah.
1: No, um, Anna, what I what I wanted to say, Anna, was my experience with your flowers because I knew you before you started growing flowers, and then. Um, you mentioned t- t- to me that you were starting and, and you were coming up with stuff. And this was when you were in your previous farm. You've, mo- yeah, you've, yeah. Mo- you've moved since then. So yeah. you arrived up and you started supplying into neighbour food like three or four years ago with these bunches. And at least half of the bunch would dry and remain wild. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the idea was that you would buy a new bunch every week but you didn't even need to you could buy one every two weeks because your flowers last 10 times longer than any other flowers that you'll buy imported ones because they're so much fresher and then the um you're adding to it each week and it's just it's kind of getting bigger and evolving and changing while other things dry and I really loved that idea it felt way more connected with a season in a way do you still do that or have you any thoughts on or advice on ways? I
2: do I do because I've I've a slightly different approach. In in say w- with flowers for for market and things like that, because I think when people are buying flowers, to take home themselves. Um, I like the idea that they get involved in the process. There's a bit of like what they used to call food empathy. Well, this is flower empathy. So I like to give them the stuff that they have. You know, it's not a finished bouquet. That's why I often kind of leave things long in that, um. So that they can do their own arranging and they can use stuff that they may want to bring in from their own garden or um, stuff that they may have from last week. So it's not like sort of getting something that's all arranged and you just take off the paper and put it into a vase and there you go.
1: But you and know I what, even this. if you did want to do that, that never works because your vase is never suitable. to <laughs> you ever notice that for the flowers you get? You always end up having to split it up or rearrange it or swap it between three because it's too big or.
2: I, th- I think as one well that, you know, the more people handle something and get involved in the processes and people often I get messages from people asking me the names of things and what's that and this. And I mean, people do the coolest thing on Instagram, for, say, for example, of neighborhood Jack, I get a lot of them. Um, pictures on instagram um shared with me yeah. they my flowers at home yeah. you know and they've taken yeah. a picture of them whatever and i look and at they're them. like you wrecked it no you can't
0: God. God. <laughs> that's the joy of you just flowers. It's,
2: yeah you
1: can't take no. it now you're right
0: it, it is
2: it's 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 a different thing and i know that say like what i would call florist flowers not being critical but you know people want that they want that arranged thing Hmm. where I want people to be involved in the process you know the way they used to say like with markets and various things people want to come up if they're yeah. if you're selling them food or you're selling them vegetables they want to chat with you about it and hmm. um, they want to maybe they want to know how it's made or how it's grown or or you know how could they grow it themselves and I'd never be fearful of that I'd give people yeah. you know I know that there's maybe a theory out there that I know you want to share your recipes with people you know you know, they they might make it once. That's about it. You know, they still will come back and, you know, buy your yeah, stuff. Absolutely. It's the mm-hmm. process and that kind of connection with people as opposed to just a product mm-hmm. that they're buying, you know? And I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I always loved the education piece of buying flowers from you as well because you're not really choosing, obviously, particular. You do from time to time. So you had those, what are they called? Dra- Dragon snaps? Snap dragons? Snap dragons, yeah. They were incredible. But like you... you you generally will send, sell a bouquet and it's, it's kind of a little bit of a discovery along the way and following with the seasons, which is really, really nice. Can I ask you a question? So one thing I've discovered, which to be honest, has blown my mind, as you know, I emigrated three yeah. years ago and I live in Italy and yeah. my kind of way in which I think about food, but also the way in which I think about Irish food, I'm actually writing an article about it at the moment for a magazine, but the way I think about Irish food now has changed so much since I came here. And one of the things that I've discovered is that we in Ireland believe this myth, or I certainly believed this myth, that because of the weather that we have, we can't have the best produce. Uh, Oh, I completely naively thought that when, in fact, I now live in a place where you cannot grow flowers in the summer because they scorch and die. You bring in a lot of things into shaded areas. You have to keep things, you have to get them out of the sun because it's so vicious and so dry. And it's for such a long period of the day. Um, And also then in the winter, we have really biting frosts and freezing. So a lot of things go, so there are very few periods of time where things actually grow well here. And the main thing that, that completely blew my mind from that is with food, and we use the example of an apple, apples in Ireland are absolutely incredible. Northern France was always considered the best for apples. The reality is it's far better in the UK and it's far better in Ireland. And the reason is lower temperatures allow it to grow slower and the plentiful water consistent supply of sun without too much sun actually produces a better apple slower is better yeah makes perfect sense the longer it's allowed to grow the better it is do you find the same is with the flow how does that affect flowers grown in ireland if you were to say take something that grows well in a lot of different countries does it grow slower does it last longer after it's been cut
2: it's it's that that is a very very interesting point because um, there are there's no doubt about it we haven't explored the extent of the possibilities of the of the flower um, uh, industry in Ireland and think of it in these terms um, we have the same moderate maritime climate as Holland yeah and they have half the landmass that we have we're virtually literally twice the size of Holland. And yet they're the the biggest flower producer in the world. Now, I know a lot of the flowers we associate with Holland are flowers that come through the markets and they're not necessarily grown there. But I mean, Holland controls the flower market, let's face it. So we have the same climate here. It is just a mindset, I think, about how we look at things. And there are flowers that would be eminently suitable to grow in an Irish climate and we don't grow any of them and they grow for example in the uh, and I'm going to say these flowers now and you're going to go oh god you know but they're not the ones you see in the petrol stations there are other varieties of them chrysanthemums Mm -hmm. right not the horrible you know petrol station version but there are beautiful chrysanthemums that look Mm -hmm. like dahlias and our climate here is perfectly suited to them Mm -hmm. absolutely we don't grow them at all And in fact, since breaks that came about, we are finding huge problems in getting our hands on plugs for them because we can't deport them from Britain. We can't deport anything Mm -hmm. from Britain now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, that may resolve itself and they make I I don't know. But all the Britain supplies seed, um, even um, uh, what you call it, tools, uh, seed tools, uh, daily tubers, chrysanthemum plugs, a whole range, a whole big load of stuff. And the British market is closed. Entirely to us. So we're going elsewhere. Now that's not a bad thing either. But what I'm hoping will come out of it. and I'm hoping even our members. Some of them, will look at the opportunities. To start producing these things here. And that we could say. Okay we grow Irish chrysanthemums. And we not only grow them as cut flower. And as potted plants for the garden centres. And whatever. But we do plugs for people who want to grow them themselves. The the flower farmers or whatever. There's a whole um, business opportunity out there. In that seeds, say we've got Seedaholics, um, we're fantastic in Sligo, brilliant seed supplier, but they're not enough now to supply the Irish market. You know, mm-hmm. we can't get any of the the all the big seed suppliers are in the UK. We can't import from them. So there's a whole, definitely a whole kind of a, a cohort of flowers out there that we haven't looked at that could be grown here, could be grown here on field scale, grow very well here. They may need a bit of um protection at various times of the year but that's fine but i mean for example um peonies that's one of the flowers now that are starting they're starting to grow them here commercially they grow peonies in alaska now if you can grow them in alaska you can grow them in ireland you can grow them as a crop to sell as a business you know not just a couple in your garden but you can actually you know make a living and this is what we'd like to see people making a living out of it
0: gorgeous. and what do you think we need for this um flower industry to grow what what kind of support do you think um we can give and growers need for this stuff? we
2: need we need
0: yeah we need the um
2: the sciences and the big agricultural bodies to look at fl- the flower industry I mean the figures are there I mean the figures I quoted you are from board Bia sure. so we need them to then turn around and look at replacing some of the import market and supporting Irish growers um, and, and having the cramp here. And there is research to be, you know, to be looked at. Um, there's feasibility studies to be done, all of these kind of things. But it's um, it's just that mind shift, you know, of taking flowers seriously and saying there is, you know, this is potentially business and income for people. And I mean, I don't know if you're producing a report whereby it says this is the value of an industry, why you can't look at the fact that some of this could be translated into Irish growers. You know, this could be part of our business. And that's even putting aside all the issues like climate change and carbon footprint. And whatever. I mean, they're all excellent ideas anyway, but just from the point of view of providing, um, you know, business opportunities.
0: So one of the other things you're you're doing as the Irish Flowers Association is social farming. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah.
2: Social so farming. social farming is is this in- interesting initiative. Um, it goes on in all, all sorts of places. Um, Ireland became involved in 2006, um, but the program really didn't get up and running until much later than that. That was the sort of, you know, projects and um, analysis more than uh, practical application. It's big in Italy. Um, in Holland, um, they call it the Green Initiative or the Green Green Farming in the Scandinavian countries. Okay, so it's about you will be familiar with the concept of heart therapy. So it's a little bit like that, but it's not heart therapy. So it's providing the ordinary, I suppose, opportunity for participants to come onto a farm, not just a flower farm, any type of farm and agricultural holding, and experience the day of doing that ordinary activities that you do. Okay. So the type of participants you might have would be um, very much broad spectrum. Uh, spectrum. So you could have people who maybe have a uh, physical challenge, challenges of some nature and mental health, uh, mental health issues. Okay. Um, people who are recovering from addiction and um, people in the probation services, a whole range of people who may benefit from being in a sort of a rural environment and uh, engaging in the whole kind of, you know, outside activity. So um, flower farmers, quite a number of flower farmers are doing it and providing um, this opportunity for people. And it's very beneficial. Um, Again, what I spoke about earlier about the science coming in and confirming what we recognised intuitively um, was that they now know that working with the soil and touching the soil and, you know, being involved in the soil um, in- increases your levels of serotonin mm. because there's a um a component in the soil called, what is it again, a macrobacterium fessasi, I think, or something like that. And this interacts with your body chemistry and makes you increase your serotonin levels. So this science now to bear up the fact that, you know, gardening makes you feel better and it is therapeutic. So, um, yeah, so that's an initiative which um, is being very positively responded to by the Irish flower farmers and everybody gets a lot out. Everybody gets it. a lot out.
0: Okay. That's that's a really great initiative, actually, yeah, and it makes perfect sense, doesn't it, for everybody. But I, I think just being outdoors in the fresh air, as you said, like yeah. literally putting your hands into the earth, like getting that appreciation of something mm-hmm. growing, it absolutely changes your your mental attitude for the the better. Like it just gives you such an elated feeling, doesn't it? Mm. Like being outdoors is very therapeutic. But I think as well, it's the
2: notion that people can progress in what is a non-clinical environment Mm. Um, like a lot of participants in these courses are spend quite a lot of time in clinical environments where a lot of decisions are made for them. And uh, which, you know, is important, obviously, and all of that. But this is the ordinary everyday life. And that's an experience which they may not have that much of, you know, for whatever reason. So that's the real benefit as well. And the kind of things a lot of us would take for granted, you know, they um, wouldn't be challenges to us. They wouldn't be seen as achievements to us. But they can be to somebody else, you know, that they they overcome some um some minor thing. They learn some skill. They learn how to do something. And I think that's really, you know, to go away with that sense of Mm. of accomplishment is very important. So that was it.
1: That was Anna Hogan from Seeking's Flower Farm and the Flower Farmers of Ireland. It's it's really nice to get an insight into that whole world. And in that whole industry, in a way, it's like really positive. I have to say, from my own experience with Neighbour Food, when we started, I, I had no idea how many flower growers there were in Ireland. And I also feel like we of introduced our audience to it as well having not known it I didn't really know anything about it and they're just they last so long in your house they smell 10 times better they're more interesting they're more beautiful they change you go back to the same grower you just ask for a bunch and it's just changing all the time as the season goes on it's really it's really
0: interesting they are so beautiful so you can fo- you can follow the network on the flower farmers of Ireland.ie. And also check out their Instagram account. That's pretty interesting because every week they are taken over by a different member. So it's fun to see what's growing around the country. And they are at Flower Farmers Ireland. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening and happy spring.
1: Don't forget to subscribe.